Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. The doors of the church were closed to her. The people of the church were forbid not only from not talking to her, but they couldn't even touch her. For 12 years, she lives in isolation from the people in the place that should have been the greatest support to her in her life. But on one day and in one moment, she makes a choice. She makes the choice to risk again. She makes the choice to push through her discomfort. And in that moment and in that decision, everything changes. Today, we're gonna to talk a little bit about that. That kind of the moment in the time, that willingness to make that choice, to push through the discomfort, to push through the insecurities, to experience and to see Jesus new in a fresh way. And I hope her story can become your story. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 8. If you've got your phones, go to lexcity.info. If you're new here, you can go to lexcity.info. All the information about our church, ways to get connected, you will all find there. And as you're turning to Luke, chapter 8, let me give you a little context what's happening in this chapter. Jesus has just finished healing a demon-possessed man, and he is on his way to a man named Jairus' house to heal his daughter, who is ill. And in that transition between one healing to the next healing, the crowd begins to gather around him. They begin to hear the things that Jesus is doing. And in that moment where we pick up our story in Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him and they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to help come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. The other gospel in the book of Mark gives us a few more details. Mark's perspective, he adds something to this encounter. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Think about this woman, your heart goes out to her. She's suffering, she's not only physically struggling, she's financially struggling. For 12 years, she has spent everything she has in order to try to find help and uh, for her condition and actually she's not getting better, she's actually getting worse. And to add to the hurt of the financial and the emotional hurt, By the Mosaic law, it's really interesting. If a woman was menstruating, she would be considered ceremonially unclean, which means she couldn't enter the temple. She couldn't take a part of the ritual. She couldn't take a part of the ceremonies during that season. Also, if she was considered unclean, she couldn't be touched by anybody else, similar to what we see in the New Testament with lepers, that kind of thing. So for 12 years, think about this, the doors of the church are shut to her. For 12 years, the the people of the church have turned their back on her. If we were putting it in the context of 2022, I think we would call this church hurt, right? The place and the people that should have been here for her during this entire time were the ones that shut the doors. But once again, the power of this woman and the power of her story is that she makes a choice. She makes a decision. At one moment in time, I'm going to risk again. If you were here week one, she makes this decision. I'm going to take the rock out of my backpack, and I'm once again going to lay it at the feet of Jesus. 
So Luke tells us more in Luke chapter 8, verse 44. And she came up behind him, being Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And I love this woman. She takes this moment of risk, but it's really calculated. She didn't run screaming, jump into the arms of Jesus, say, heal me in this moment, right? She didn't have her friends lower her down right in the midst of Jesus' teaching. No, that wasn't the case. She, she simply slid and pushed her way through the crowd that was all around Jesus. And she just, Bible makes reference, she touches just the fringe of his garment, right? Get in, get out. Shouldn't surprise us. For, for 12 years, she's felt invisible. Like nobody's noticed her. You ever been that? In the midst of a crowd, still ever felt invisible like nobody noticed? That's her life. So it shouldn't surprise her. That's how she thinks that it's going to be with just in Jesus. Let me just get in, get out. Nobody will know. But the amazing part of this story is she has the opportunity to do something she hasn't been able to do for 12 years. She touches. And she touches Jesus. And the Gospels, both of them go on to give us some fascinating little details about what happens. Go to verse 45. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus says, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. I love it. Peter's like, when Jesus says, like, who touched me? Peter's like, uh, Jesus. There's crowds everywhere. Everybody's touching everybody, right? Uh, this is, if you're green, your space has been taken up by this crowd. Right? I mean, they're in your space. It's like, Jesus, come on. Everybody's touching everybody. What do you mean? And here's what Jesus says. No, I know somebody touched me. Why? Because I have felt my power that has gone out from me. I mean, how cool is, is that? Matthew finishes off the story with some more details. Matthew chapter 5, I'll go to the other account. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned to the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you ask, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. Nobody responds, right? Verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And this beautiful story, right, of somebody who has not been seen, not felt noticed, is all of a sudden seen by the Messiah. And her hurt turns into healing because in one moment of time she made a choice. I'm going to risk again. I'm going to be vulnerable again. I'm going to push through this discomfort to that very moment. And in that moment, she sees Jesus in a new, in a fresh way. Today, we kind of want to give you an example of that. Today, we're going to hear some, from some folks who have really pushed through, as we're talking today, their own church hurt. And in that willingness to make that choice to push through it, are experiencing hope and healing, a preferred future. And these are folks who are serving in our church in such faithful way. And so, guys, if I can have you join me this morning... We'd love to be able to talk about this. So we're going to talk about some of the church hurts and how we have, you're going to hear from their stories, how they've moved from them. Some of these hurts have happened in the context of these four walls, and some of these hurts have happened in other contexts and different situations. But I want you to listen closely to what was the choices? How did they risk, like this woman, to push through to see Jesus in a new and a fresh way? Guys, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Appreciate your willingness to share a little bit of, of your life as we go. 
Let's jump in. John, a lot of your story has been and your faith journey has really been built around this and uh, this area of how I work through hurt and how you see Jesus in that new and a fresh way. And I love a little bit of your story. I think I always appreciate as you lead us into worship, I think the depth of who you are has been how God has really done an amazing work in your life. Why don't you share with us just a little bit of what your story has been like? Um, there we go. Uh, <clears throat> so my experience with church hurt has run the gamut. I've been all over the spectrum. Uh, from last week, we talked about big T and little t trauma. Well, um, sadly and uh, unfortunately, I was the, the uh, inflictor of big T trauma um, on the life of a church uh, over a decade and a half ago. Um, there was secret sin and addiction in my life that had gone on unchecked for years and that culminated in an affair that brought so much hurt and betrayal to uh, my, uh, the church family that I had back in that time. And now having been through both sides of that, I know uh, with unbelievable clarity what kind of pain I put those people through. Um, I know how much it hurt. I know how much it ambushed and sidelined people for so long. And so I've experienced that big T kind of trauma. Um, and in the middle of that, folks who were leading in that context and in that place spoke things over me that I still remember to this day, that I still remember every word, you know, every syllable, every, the inflection of how it was said, um, things to my core related to um, my disqualification from ever serving again in any capacity, uh, not having any business being anywhere near a stage or, or near lights or near sound. My, my passion was to lead worship and um, people were uh, very fervently believing that I was now exempt from that and I began to believe that as well. And so in the months that followed, uh, I got uh, plugged into the recovery ministry here at this church through my family. And when I was offered opportunities to begin serving here, I wanted that so badly because um, it was counter to what I had heard where I had been. And I knew what I loved and I just wanted to give it all I got. And so Leslie and I and our kids, there, a couple of them are down front here this morning. Um, we just dove in head first. Uh, it was a very short period of time that passed before uh, we were accepting an opportunity and invitation to go and be, be basically volunteer staff at a campus in Frankfurt. And um, the pace at which we were serving and living with three small kids and a fourth coming, um, the ways in which we were being led to give and to serve and to sacrifice with um, very little thought to or a realization of how it would impact our home uh, was tremendous. Um, anytime we hesitated or <clears throat> wasn't sure uh, which way to go, uh, what choice to make, how much to give, we'd be encouraged to give more, to trust God by faith and to uh, leave your lack of faith at the foot of the cross. And so we just continued to give. It got to the point where the pace of our lives had become depleting, unsustainable, uh, neglectful to our, to our young children. And it almost felt reckless at times. And so for those around us, this was our tribe. These were our people. Uh, it led to a lot of secret sin, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of burnout for our friends and their families. And so many of them left. They didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't know where to seek refuge, where to get help. And so in the pain, many left. Um, a majority of our friends, for that matter, I can count on one hand the number of people from that season uh, that are still 
in our life today. Uh, so this was an incredibly painful and trying time for me and for our family. Amanda, your story on that looks a little different, and it's come at different stages and different seasons of life. What's that been like for you? Um, yeah, I've had multiple seasons of church hurt, and the first that I remember was as a freshman in college. Um, I had rushed to join a sorority, and I did that because I wanted to move in early, and I wasn't really sure that I was going to join one, but after some prayer, decided that that was where God was going to have me, but I was coming off a summer where I had served as the youth intern for the youth group, and because I was just 18, I had mainly been hanging out with middle school girls and mentoring them, and some of their moms began to tell them that, oh, she must be partying, she's doing all these terrible things because she's joined a sorority. And obviously it was their mom, so they believed them. And um, I became quickly labeled as um, someone unsafe and someone who was making poor choices. And that was the first time that I was really taken back because it's one thing for people to, to hurt you or wrong you when they don't know you, but it, it feels so multiplied when they know you and they've seen you live your life. Um, and then the second biggest moment of church hurt for me was in a season walking through difficulty in my marriage that unfortunately led to divorce. And while experiencing great brokenness and rejection in my home, um, I was met with the same in the church. And um, that was just really painful. I was labeled again as divorced and that made me feel disqualified. And when you're labeled, um, it does something to your identity. And that was something that um, was a big part of my healing, was having to find out who I really was in the Lord. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Jeff, you had, a, again, a unique, different kind of an experience. What, what, what has that been like for you? Yeah, um, for me, you know, I, you kind of set up last week where you're talking about big T and little T and these, uh, you know, different um, forms of church hurt with member to member or leader to leader and whatnot. Uh, so I don't have a big T trauma. I have a bunch of little T's that just kind of built up over time. And it was, you know, member to leadership and then leadership to leadership. And for you know, member to leadership, we had just like crazy expectations put on us. Um, in particular, I had this lady that uh, she was very upset with me because her daughter was just not accepting Jesus yet. And she's like, you know, you're the youth director. This, why not? And I'm like, I get her for an hour. You have her for a lot more. Like, I feel like that's not on me. But, you know, you do that with you know, what you will with that. Um, and, you know, instances like that. And then, you know, from, you know, leadership to leadership, um, you know, my family, like, we, we enjoy serving. We love to serve. And it was this, you know, constant more things added to us. It was... Uh, I was the youth director, the children's director, the maintenance guy, the set build, whatever. Like, it was all of it. And, you know, we didn't have people who were stepping up to volunteer to help or anything like that. So it was just this, you know, growth over time of something that just got so heavy, it kind of broke us. And we didn't really enjoy serving anymore. We didn't enjoy it anymore. Um, we kind of lost it, kind of broke us. Um, but, yeah, just just a whole bunch of little teas, nothing bigger. But, it, you know, just build up. Yeah, it's so... Significant. Thanks for sharing it. Whether it be a little T or a big T, right, the end result gets to be the same. We get there in different routes, but it is that sense of emptiness and loss. Carrie, you kind of walked through a little season of that where just all those things begin to accumulate for you. What did that look like for you and your family? 
Yeah, so I knew from a very early age that church hurt was real. Um, I watched my parents walk through it with different situations in different churches. Um, but I don't think that I quite understood it just coming from the perspective of a child. Um, but for me personally, my most extensive church hurts comes from unhealthy expectations like you, Jeff, um, just being in different serving roles. My gifts and talents were being highlighted. I was being stretched and grown in really great ways. I was so grateful, really, really grateful to be doing good kingdom work. The things that I was getting to put my hands to brought joy. Uh, I was known and I was loved in community, um, but it just felt like it was never quite enough, like almost a game of shoots and ladders where you were extended an opportunity, you said yes, and you gained approval from someone, you got a little bit closer to an inner circle. Um, if for whatever reason you were extended opportunity that you had to say no to, it was like taking the chute back down to the starting line, losing credibility and losing my position. Um, but the truth is my talents and my gifts are really unique to me. I have an assignment and no one can take my kingdom, my position in the kingdom of God. Um, the other thing for me was boundaries. They were really hard to set and it was a battle to keep them. Um, but even as we were preparing for this, I had never owned my part in that. I wasn't holding healthy boundaries for myself. And in order for me to continue to grow and to forgive and to advance, I have to own it. I have to take responsibility and do the forgiveness work towards freedom. If we never do the work towards healing, every communication, miscommunication, every misunderstanding, everything becomes an offense and it just deepens the wound a little bit more. Such a powerful word, that sense of ownership and, and taking part of that. John, what have you seen as we kind of talk a little bit about like, here's the reality where we are, but these are things that we did to kind of, as the woman did in, in Matthew, take the risk and step out. Part of that is the ownership process. What have you found that's been helpful? Yeah, so um, we talk about personalities and colors. I'm a green, so I hate confrontation, like bad it makes me makes me vomit in my mouth but the fact of the matter is that God calls us to uh, deal with these things in some cases head-on in some cases face-to-face -face. Uh, but the temptation for us is to just sweep it away it's to change our friendship circle it's to change our uh, context of ministry it's changed geographic locations even uh, for some it's to simply sweep it under the rug just give it long enough, enough time passes to where somehow it's just gonna kind of figure itself out and, and be healed. And for anyone who's tried that, you know that that does not work. Because the pain that we've each talked about, the uh, assault on our identity and our definition and value um, come at a great, great price, but they leave us wounded. And so when we go and change our context, change our friends, change our location, change our church, change whatever without first doing the work, we just bring all the wounds with us somewhere else and we start repeating the same patterns. We, we have the same habits and brokenness and before long, we're recreating the same scenario somewhere else. And so just like a couple of you alluded to, the, the first step is to own it. For me, it, it was to own the very fact that I was culpable in every single situation where I found myself, where we found our family overstretched, overcommitted, saying yes to too much, being too invested, too costly, like 
I was the one who was saying yes to these things and no one was forcing me to. There was pressure and there was different things from leadership and different opportunities that I uh, believed I was gonna miss. But ultimately that was because I was looking for my validation, my approval, my worth from other people and not from the Lord. I was taking those questions to the wrong place. And so when I was getting an answer that I didn't like, I was just pushing harder, trying to do more. And that was so costly. It was so painful for our family. And so to own it first and to recognize that I'm responsible is the first step. And then right behind it uh, is to do the confession and repentance work of acknowledging to God, this is where I did wrong. This is where I was wrong. This is where this situation should have been different. And I'm sorry, God. And some of that was also confessing and, and repenting with other people, making things right as best was my, my ability between those who had hurt and those who had hurt me. Um, <clears throat> and then the third part uh, was to grieve, grieve the losses, recognize and honor the fact that we really went through something, that it cost us a lot relationally, emotionally, financially, in every way. Uh, Leslie's a great list maker and I watch her make lists often because they're so detailed and they honor the detail of the things that we're going through. And so to present those lists to the Lord and, and just ask him to help us feel them and really enter into that sadness so that we can give it to him and really forgive someone for what's actually hurt us. Uh, that is a huge part of it. And then lastly, uh, just getting to go to people and forgive them. Uh, sometimes people sought us out. Sometimes we had to seek them out to forgive. It was not easy. It was uh, very uncomfortable at times. But we are in a church full of relationships and relationships are worth the risk, but they're also very complicated and difficult. And so when we step towards relationship, when we pick to uh, forgive people and let them off the hook, we are picking a step towards freedom, closer to wholeness and closer to healing. Yeah, that's good stuff. Jeff, for you guys, as you were kind of walking that, that road of healing, coming out of place, the expectations seemed high, margins were minimized. What did that look like for you and your family? Uh, yeah, for us, you know, it was you know, kind of taking ownership of, yeah, we took on too much. We said yes too much. Um, and we recognized that where we were at it just wasn't healthy. Um, so we left. Uh, we left where we were at. Uh, we made peace with it and moved on. And I say we an hour uh, in this part of it. You know, uh, my wife, Lauren, and I worked through all this together. She was also on staff. Um, but it was uh, finding a place to go to heal. It was finding an environment where we could you know, go to church, not go to work, not go to serve, but go to church, be part of the church, um, and kind of identify within that. And for us, we wanted to... Um, we wanted to serve, but we had to, we had to take time and, and pull back. And, you know, I met um, Pastor Brian and his wife, Tammy and Julie on a, on a Thursday night. And I'm a yellow, I talk a lot, uh, ramble on, and I gave them the whole shebang. And they were like, whoa, okay. Um, yeah, dude, take a break. Um, and, you know, they invited us to, to come into the church and just be and that's what we needed, and that's what was provided here. You know, thank you guys you know, for that. And then it was a year later, um, finally we were like, okay, we can re-engage and serve. We can set healthy boundaries. We can say when we will and will not. 
Um, and you guys have been amazing with that. So, you know, like with Julie, she's like, hey, can you serve on this day by chance? I'm like, eh, actually, I can. I'm sorry. And no problem. No problem. We'll figure it out. You know, thank you so much for when you do serve. Um, so, yeah, for us, it was pulling back the reins, setting boundaries and reengaging. Yeah, that's good. A little more sense of just being rather than doing. So that willingness to your identity is found apart from what you do and the label that you have. Carrie, for you, your healing process looked a little different because I think for all of us, right, that there's no A plus B does not equal C in this healing journey. Everybody walks their own pace, their own journey with Jesus, especially in this area of healing. And you've got to feel the freedom to go how the Lord leads you in that. So for you and your family, it looked really different than pulling away. Yeah, for me, um, Jeff, that wasn't possible. <laughs> um, I was heartbroken to watch the community that I really loved around me leave in droves. Um, in some cases, to rest and recover. In other cases, running really far away um, from the hurt. But I am an extreme green, and I typically would choose to flee. Um, but I knew in, that this was something really important that I needed to fight for. And I had to choose it. I had to choose to fight for myself, for my family, for the community around me. Um, or I would just give up forever. Um, when I talk to my kids now who are 11 and 12, they don't remember any of it. They don't remember how hard it was to push through the pain. Um, I mentioned to my daughter that I was speaking on a panel about church hurt and she just said, what would you even say? <laughs> and that, friends, is protection from the Lord. It is by the grace of God that my kids don't know how hard it was to push through. They only know that it is an honor and a privilege to serve the local church. They have watched their mom and dad do it faithfully for years. So good. Amanda, how about you? What does that look like for you and what's been the kind of some of the keys to really stepping back in faith? Um, my, my healing process was kind of a hybrid of the two of you. Um, I didn't have as much to own, but one thing that I had to own was the responsibility to assume the best about the people who had hurt me. Um, they had not assumed the best about me. And I could not respond in kind. That wasn't going to promote healing or unity. That would just be more division. And so God really gave me that perspective change that um, in both of the cases, the, the hearts of the people were to protect. They thought they were protecting their kids from a bad influence and protecting the church from a bad example. And so just understanding that um, was healing for me. Um, and also just this deep love of Jesus, this sounds like a really churchy answer, but um, I loved Jesus so much and I knew that the church was his bride. And I could not reconcile how I could deeply love Jesus and not love his bride. And so that was just an easier choice. It was motivated by love. And um, I had to learn to remove individuals from the organization of the church rather than to categorize the whole church by the choices and decisions of a few people. And that was really key to healing. And I had to sit for 10 months 
and rest and heal and work on my self-doubt because I wasn't sure I would ever serve again because I felt disqualified. Um, but then I had to re-engage even though I was afraid and continue to press in and continue to show my kids that we show up, that we come and we join these people because it's what God encourages us to do in his word. Um, so I'm just really grateful that he helped me heal that way. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. John, as we think about this area of just recovery through this, healing some of those deep wounds and hurts. Um, what have you seen? What is available if somebody's sitting out here today thinking, I don't know where to go with that? What would you encourage them with? So moving forward in health uh, requires constant forgiveness and grace. You look to your left and your right around you in this space, in this building, this church, this community is worth risking your heart on. It's worth fighting for. Um, but it is risky because we hurt each other. We're beautiful messes most of the time and we're not always gonna do it right. But doing all of that forgiveness and confession repentance work gets all of uh, the previous hurt. If you allow Jesus to heal it, healed and current to where you can be fully present in the present moving forward, not dragging behind all of the undealt with and managed hurt and pain. And so as we step forward, we can do so knowing that yes, more hurt's gonna come. But uh, like we said during first hour, it's worth the risk. Like it is worth the risk of your heart and God will meet us in the middle of it. So some things that matter, the, the most important couple are the, the continual commitment to relationship repair, to doing the work of going to people when you're hurt of doing the work to have those conversations even when it's uncomfortable, to pull someone in, get advice, get godly counsel, and then go and make things right as much as it is possible to do so with those around you. But then also, like a couple of you alluded to, and like I did so poorly in my story, was setting boundaries, having appropriate boundaries and expectations of yourself, your circumstances, and your family. And so the days of saying yes to everything for me, for our family, are over. The days of living for others' validation and approval, those days are behind us. They're behind me. And ultimately, it's because uh, Jesus brought me to the place where I was able to accept him as Lord and Savior. Now I take those core questions to him and to him alone and not to those around me. And this will alleviate so much of the pain and difficulty simply by knowing that he is the one that speaks definition and value over us. But then you move forward in healing and in freedom. And we do that around here through being known in community. Many of you are a part of a life group or you're part of a grow group. Some of you are part of a recovery group. I'm very partial to our recovery ministry. It's something I get the gift of leading here week in and week out. It's a place where I've experienced so much freedom and healing on my own because what happens is when we have all these hurts and pains, these wounds that go unchecked and undealt with, we turn to all different kinds of things to medicate them, just to make the pain go away for a little while. And that's where so much inevitably of our pain ends up in addiction. And so recovery groups are a great first place to jump in. On Thursday nights, there are so many safe communities where you can find a group specifically to what you're dealing with and be known, be fully uh, known and fully loved by the people around you. We also have life groups. If the issues aren't specific to any kind of addiction or dysfunction, if it's just you needing to be known by people for difficult things going on in your life, there are groups here of individuals who are committed to doing this life with you. But you've gotta be willing to take that first step. I had to be willing to take that first step to come and be known in a group to say, here's what's going on. 
my life, my family, everything is falling apart. Will you please help show me how to get to Jesus with this? And there were people who were faithful for me and I know there are people who will be faithful to you too. So by joining one of these groups, one of the many different ways we have to engage in community, you're going to find that it's possible to be fully known and fully loved by God. And the last thing I'll say, I spoke with a gentleman between services here at the end of first hour and I felt like the Lord was telling me to encourage him to be kind to himself, to just be okay. Like you have permission, friend, to be where you are today. No one's expecting you to be somewhere you're not. No one's expecting you to, to do more or realize more today. Like you have permission to just be where you are and please treat yourself with kindness and with grace like Jesus does. And let's just take one step at a time. So if that's you this morning, you might need to hear that. Like this is a really hard road to travel and you need to give yourself a lot of grace and patience as you travel it. Wow, that's so good. Give yourself some grace and do it in context of community. Carrie, we're gonna let you close us out today. Uh, you're one of our small groups coaches. And so one of your healing is you've seen the value of this um, and just doing life together with people. If I'm here today and I'm really struggling and I'm just finding myself, the emotion of it is just feels overwhelming and I hear John saying this is the next step, but I'm just not sure I can get out of this moment. What would you say to us as we kind of close out? I say this, loving people is risky. We are messy and we're broken and we will continue to disappoint and hurt each other. But Jesus modeled it for us. He laid down his life for his friends. And I am willing to do the same thing. I don't want to live a life where I don't know and love the friends around me. I say we're really willing to, we're worth risking. I think we're, I think we're worth it, right? I think you are. That's such a great word. And that really is it, right? The, 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 the beauty of what we choose to do together, we gather together to be as a family of God, just to do life together in its imperfections and in its messiness. And I shared that first week, you know, in just a moment here, we're gonna take communion together. And I shared that first week that the reality of this idea of church hurt, it's, it's nothing new, right? All throughout the New Testament, we just see example of that and example of that. And one of the passages that we use for communion all the time is found in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we get down to the communion part, but we forget the verses that are on top of it. Let me just remind you the context of what we are going to be able to do, what we're going to just do now. It really came in the context of, of church hurt. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it to be part. He's just saying, this is, I wish I could just tell you everything's great, and it's all, it's not. We're struggling with divisions, and we're hurting one another, and so that's the context. Then he goes on to list some examples. Again, you want to talk about what church hurt is. So they're having communion together, and the in crowd is coming early, and they are partaking of the best wine and the best bread, and then when they're done with the best stuff, then they'll share it with whoever comes in the later crowd who didn't get the great invitation to come at the first part. A little bit of church hurt and dysfunction. Paul says, I'm going to call it out. That's what I see that's happening in the church of Corinth. So he says, here's the solution, right? It's a focus issue. You become self-centered and you've been serving just yourself. He says, let me remind you of who we worship and who we serve in his example. So in verse 23, a verse you probably heard around for communion context, right? For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He says, listen, this is the key, right? This is where the focus, the focus has got to be on the selfless act of your Savior. That Jesus came and died. That his blood was shed that you could have the forgiveness of sins. And when your eyes can be focused on Jesus and what Jesus has done for you, then all the pettiness of this world gains a, a proper perspective. You're going to be far less selfish and want to come for the best wine and the best bread if you remember that Jesus, who could have been first, chose to be last. He says, so when you take these things and you do this, be remembered and be focused on who Jesus is. And so his last part, he simply says this. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, just wait for one another. When we gather as a family of God, let us defer to one another. You don't have to be first, just wait. Everybody has got a seat at the table. Everybody gets the best of Jesus. And we do this thing together. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And we're going to take communion together. And our elders, there'll be some down front. There'll be some there. And just during that time, you can take these moments. But can I remind you the power of what we're doing and why we do it together? Because it reminds us of the focus. In and of ourselves, we become petty and divisive and self-serving. But when we can focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we're reminded of a God who loved you enough that he went to the cross that he could have a relationship with you. When you take the bread, we're reminded that his body was beaten. When we drink the cup, we're reminded his blood was shed that we could have the forgiveness of sins. And so if we're going to be the church God wants us to be, Jesus has got to be the focus. And everything else will come into alignment. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we take time, I'm grateful for the folks who have shared their journey. And I'm reminded, even in the book of 1 Corinthians, before the sacred moment of being reminded of taking the communion, you had to deal with church hurt, and selfishness, and division, and just all the things in our flesh. So Father, today as we take time to remember, to reflect, May our focus be on you and how you have modeled for us what unity and grace looks like. So Lord, thank you for your sacrifice and what it means to us. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church slash give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.